0: You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org.
1: Welcome, friends. Uh, All who are content this day, you are welcome here. And all who feel unworthy, you are welcome here. That's what we were just singing. Uh, This is the place for you. Uh, This is City Church of Long Beach, where we're a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. I'm Bill White, one of the co-pastors here, and it's just—it's really good to be with you. It's uh, yeah, uh, friends on Zoom. Hi, good to see you guys. Uh, just so you guys know, if you're looking on, we have an audience cam here that watches you people, so that people on Zoom can see. Everyone's shivering, so that's if—if if, if it seems like the picture's blurry, that's because everyone's just moving. Okay, um, so. Uh, one order of business, our normal bathroom here is closed. So there's a bathroom right here with the yellow sign on the door. That's the bathroom. And there's also all the way in the, at the top of the auditorium, there's another restroom. Um, so one of the things we like to do around City Church is we love to bless our kids because we think kids are awesome, totally amazing. I see some amazing kids here, like yes and yes, fantastic human beings. Um, And so, Megan Clendenning is going to pray over our kids. Where art thou? Here you go. Come on up, Megan. And pray for our kiddos today. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Good morning.
2: (laughs) Will you pray with me? (laughs) Dear God, thank you so much just for this day. And for our kids, I thank you so much for all that they teach us. And I pray that you keep them safe and happy and healthy and that you watch over them and know, and that they know that they're so loved by you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. (laughs) And you can all come with me and Miss Hannah over there to do a little craft.
1: (laughs) Party time for the kids. Uh, And then if you would welcome up our other co-pastor, Brenna Rubio. Oh, don't think I'm gonna forget that. So, and sometimes, yes, yes. So sometimes around city church, we uh, we call this man, the, the, the do we call it the, the, the pastor's wife? The pastor's yes. wife. So this is Israel Rubio, who bakes brownies, plays piano for the kids. And he
2: makes guac more often than brownies. True. that's true. There is yeah. that.
1: So anyway, super glad to have these two preaching today. It's going to be fun.
2: <laughs> yeah, I told a few people this morning, but it's about one year. There's something. Okay, we're gonna try it. We're gonna try it. We had this problem last week too. So Dave and I are trying to work now. No. All right. Dave and I will keep working on the microphone, and that is okay. Uh, Dave, for all of you who have noticed over the last few months, drastic drastic improvements in our sound. It's all been Dave. So if you could just give Thank him. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. So so grateful to him, and you know, this is just normal bumps, normal bumps in the process. Um, okay, so once a year about is when as about how often I can convince Israel to come up and preach with me uh, because he has a really busy day job as a vice principal at a high school in Anaheim um, but. I know that it's always, it's it's a gift to me, and I think it's a gift to all of us when he does come up and and share a bit. It's
0: great
2: Um, to be here. Yeah, and we we have fun. We actually have kind of fun, because just like us kicking around like ideas, and actually we're kind of having the conversation in front of you that we get to have with each other as we sit and talk over a passage of scripture. So this morning we are talking about a passage that, um, it's one that... I mean, other than maybe like John three sixteen, the verse that gets held up at like baseball games. I feel like other than that, Psalm and twenty, football, yeah,
0: and football games too, and
2: football games, all the games, all the games. I, I'm not actually aware of what all the sports are. <laughs> I, I thought baseball was a safe, get, a safe bet. It's good. Um, <laughs> okay, so there's John three sixteen, and then there's Psalm twenty three. The Lord is my shepherd. I mean, it's some of those classics that we hear all of the time. And so as Israel and I were starting to talk about that, like he actually had like, man, this is the story that it makes me think of.
0: I thought of two stories actually. And the first one was I was like eight or nine in church and they made us memorize it all the way through. That was my first engagement with this passage. And many of you uh, may have had that similar experience, but that's kind of boring. You've all been there. So we're going to skip over that story. Um, The second story that it reminded me of is I had a friend, uh, senior year of high school, we knew each other throughout high school, but we didn't really have any classes together until senior year. And we bonded because we both like it's that age where like you watch The Godfather for the first time and it like just blows your mind and then all of a sudden you think you're like a film critic and like you know like you don't watch movies anymore, you watch films and so you're really foolish. So He and I totally just got to be buddies at the same time because we all we've talked about is Godfather 1, 2, and 3 and and all this stuff. And uh, we would work on our Al Pacino impersonations and it was just a great time to be 17 and in high school. And so When you grow up in an evangelical church and you have a really good friend like that obviously you want to uh convert them so that they can go to church with you and um i didn't think that there was anything nefarious to it like i didn't think i was going to get like bonus bucks at church or anything like at the ultimately i like i just want to have someone to talk about godfather with when i'm in heaven and he would be (laughs) he would be a great person to talk about you know movies and stuff when we're in heaven so um, when I broached the topic okay. with, with him, I said, hey, Nate, um, you know, what do you think about going to church? You know, that's a big part of my life. Like, what do you think about going to church? And he's like, yeah, know, I'm, I'm no sheep. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's not for me. That's not what i have seen. That's too many people being led around, you know, it's, and for the first time, I didn't really know what to say to that. <laughs> right. Cause my first, like my gut was like, I'm not a sheep. I can think for myself. And then I realized, wait. <laughs> we're reading a passage from the Bible, which in both the Hebrew and in the you know, second half of the New Testament, there are many metaphors and stories about sheep and shepherds. It is a very prominent part of what we read. And so I was you know, kind of stuck there, like what do I, what do, I do with that? Are you, is he right? You know, am, am I wrong? You know, I don't know. And what I realized looking back on that conversation is that it was really having to do this, what we've been talking about the last few weeks of this cycle of orientation, disorientation and reorientation. I had been in at that point in orientation where wait thanks Bill. In this time of like I was very certain of what I believed, you know, the church and all that stuff that I'd grown up in. It was just a very, it felt like it was true, and that's how I was oriented in my uh, perspective on life. Um, and this is kind of my one of my first experiences of disorientation of I'm having to hold some different truths together. And you know, Izzy is, is my friend Nate correct in how he perce- perceives the church and Christianity and, and, and all his, all the sheep. And um, I think he at that point of his life was already in a process of disorientation. He was very um, uh, very questioning, he was, you know, very skeptical. Person, which is why I thought he was a great friend. It helped me. It helped challenge my thinking in our history class and our English class because we'd always have great conversations about the books and and stuff like that, and the movies. Like that's, I was a really great gift that he had. But he had moved along further in that process of disorientation. I hadn't gotten there yet and learned about all the terrible things that the churches do. So you know, it was, (laughs) it was still new. It was still new to me. And so um, looking back on that, it was really, it's really helpful to start thinking through. Well, what do we do with this idea of sheep and? having a shepherd and all that. Yeah. So,
2: yeah. yeah. So, good. so when Israel's telling me this story, I'm like, yes, I mean, we can hear it, right? And, you know, a set of words that we might bring into this is like when Israel thought about still being in this stage of orientation, thought about the church, thought about spirituality, he was in this all good place, right? Like that it was, it was very, very simple for him at that time. The church was all good. And so why wouldn't he invite his buddy to church where it's all good and, yeah, then, you know, Pacino in heaven and all that stuff. And his friend was already in this place of disorientation where it was still very, very simple. The church was all bad, right? So we, we were still in a place of real simplicity. All good, all bad, total trust, total skepticism what I think we're going to look at today as we read Psalm 23 is we're going to ask, is there something different? Is there an option beyond all good and all bad? Is there a way to hold the good and the bad intention? For us to really kind of say, no, the bad, like that's real. The questions are good, they're valid. Can we trust anyway? Is there good mixed in there anyway? Can we live and can we hold? the creative tension. Now, as we listen, one of the things that I want to recognize, because we're going to, we're about to read Psalm 23, but as I've already kind of pointed it out, and I think many of you resonated, like many of us have heard Psalm 23 over and over and over again. And there's that phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. You get too comfortable with something. It just kind of like, woo, you know, can just totally go over your head. So I want to invite you into a different way of listening this morning. We're going to do something just a little bit different with the passage. So here's one thing, as you picture, as you hear the words, the Lord is my shepherd. What does the shepherd look like to you? And you know, you might be picturing like some clothes like Middle Eastern, you know, back a couple thousand years, that sort of thing. Here's one thing that I would almost 100% guarantee. As you pictured the shepherd, you pictured a male. Because our picture of who the shepherd is, is, you know, shaped by Jesus, definitely. Physically male body Um, is shaped by David, you know, one of the Kings in the Old Testament, who was a shepherd and lots of stories, like even in the kids' children's books, right? About David, David as a shepherd. Um, There are actually a lot of other stories about women as shepherds. And I actually just want to point that out this morning that you actually get to, as you hear, the Lord is my shepherd. It would be completely scriptural to picture a woman, to picture Rachel uh, in the book of Genesis who took care of her family's sheep, to picture Zipporah who would become the wife of Moses and he met her as she was out taking care of her family's sheep. You can actually play with the pronouns this morning and you can listen and you can hear and you can visualize whatever you need whatever what would be most meaningful to you this morning as we listen and we hear Psalm 23. So I'm going to invite my friends Dave and Krista Newman up. Could you welcome them, please? And they're going to do this sort of different reading of Psalm 23 this morning. And one other thing, just to tell you as they come up, and you guys come on, I'll pass you my microphone in a second, uh, is that Dave, Dave is someone who really likes exploring questions about the Bible uh, and he has offered to do that with other people at City Church. Like he's not one of those people who's just going to tell you like the answers, like he can actually sit and hold tension and, and, you know, get into the questions with you. So just so you know, there is a place in the back that you could sign up if you'd like to be part of like a Sunday morning Bible study group here at City Church with Dave, who's a super friendly guy. And for those of you who are on Zoom, you could even just put it into the chat. That you'd be you'd be interested and in. we'll make sure we get your information to to dave all right
0: and then here at city church um we stand for the reading of god's word so please stand with us if you're on zoom you're welcome to stand or just hang out and read along with us
3: the lord is my shepherd i lack nothing she makes me lie down in green pastures she leads me beside quiet waters she refreshes my soul. She guides me along the right paths for her name's sake.
2: Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me.
3: The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, li- he leads me beside quiet waters, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake.
2: You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
3: The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. They make me lie down in green pastures. They lead me beside quiet waters. They refresh my soul. They guide me along the right paths for their name's sake.
2: People of God, this is the word of God. Thank you Thank guys. Thanks, you, thanks, Tim that So was awesome. helpful. So afterwards, I'm really gonna be curious what that was like for you to hear that passage with some different pronouns. As we start to lean in together, um, I just want to want to think a little bit more about this objection that Israel's friend had to the idea of being sheep. And what does that bring up for you as we think about this, I mean this is the clear imagery it's it's the sheep and the shepherd the Lord is my shepherd who guides me along the right paths. For his namesake, though I walk through the darkest valley I will fear no evil you're with me your rod and your staff they comfort me like what comes up for you when you think about being sheep. Um, I know that there are gonna be some of you where what comes up is actually quite a bit of comfort. You know, there's a cartoonist, I imagine some of you also follow on Instagram, David Hayward, the naked pastor, anyone, anyone? Okay, if you don't, the naked pastor, feel free to pull out your phone right now. Um, I won't be offended not at all. He's, he's awesome. It's so funny. And so many of his cartoons, I mean, he has lots that are like more serious, but he has these whole series that are about sheep, and particularly about LGBTQ sheep, and Jesus coming alongside his LGBTQ sheep, and protecting, and defending, and loving and celebrating. And it's just awesome, right? Like I feel happy every time one of these awesome sheep cartoons, comes in my feed. And, and so some of us actually probably have like warm feelings like this about the idea of sheep, because man, we have needed a shepherd. And so this idea of Jesus cuddling close, this idea of Jesus defending, it's actually super comforting. But others of you might kind of go, yeah, I've been in that place where I've kind of been like, okay, a sheep is a dumb animal. A sheep is someone with a pack mentality, somebody who can't think for themselves. I don't want to be a sheep. I want to think for myself. I don't want to just go along. I don't want to conform anymore, right? That kind of conformity pressure that legitimately is part of the orientation phase of our faith. So how do we, how do we navigate that tension? You know, I, I just, I, it wasn't anything fancy, right? But as I was thinking about that, I was like, I just put into Google as we do sometimes, right? Google being how we learn everything these days, like, are sheep stupid? I was just curious, right? Are sheep stupid? Google told me no. You can put it in yourself. I'm not going to cite references. Like, I mean, they're mostly like people who like, don't be mean to sheep. okay? But Google told me no. Google told me that sheep are actually really smart. But more than that, what impressed me is Google told me that sheep are relational. Sheep are communal. Sheep actually, like, they have, like, hey, 30 sheep or so that they recognize and they form patterns with and almost like, you know, sort of communal arrangements. There's, they, they actually have relationships with each other and they remember the patterns. And, and even with their human caretakers, they build these relationships, right? And, and so for me, I was kind of going, oh, see, this is the tension. This is the tension that this imagery of the shepherd brings us into because we want to be a me, we want to be ourselves. And yet we also need the we, we actually need the communal that's what I hear in this passage where it's it's speaking to us when we're feeling lost. And it's so rare that when we're feeling lost that we're not also feeling lonely, the two words just kind of go together right that even as you think about this passage like. The Lord's going to lead me on right paths. You know, when I was younger, I think I I always thought like right paths meant I'd be like doing that, you know, the whole straight and narrow moral thing, right? Those would be the right paths. And if I step off, whoo, might slide somewhere scary. If I do something wrong. What if the right paths are just the ones that lead us home? The right paths are the ones that we stay in connection with others, right? The right paths are about somehow navigating that tension of the me and the we, or yeah, we don't want to be sheep, but don't we? We don't want to be lost and lonely. We want to, we want to find connection and belonging. So uh, Israel, I, you know, as we were talking, I just as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about your transition, because in the last couple of years, you've moved from being an administrator or vice principal at a middle school to a high school. Yeah. which is a pretty different set of kids, yes. right? Uh, and, and probably they're navigating some of these me and we tensions. So I'm just like, what yeah. does it bring up for you?
0: And I think it's funny that you think about the junior high to high school. It's like not a straight like one night and day. It's like part of a continuum of growth, right? Like these are all individual people continuing growth. But the reality is in junior high, we want a little bit more conformity. Everyone wears the uniform shirts, and that's always a daily battle making sure they're uniforms, right, because they have to do it, right? Um, but in high school, there's, there's a little more individuality. Student schedules are much more unique and tailor-made to their interests and what they're doing after high school. And we really want to make sure that they have some, some say in that, which provides many opportunities to have lots of conversations for kids demanding things and advocating for themselves for their schedule, but then having to even, at the same time, coach them on how to have those conversations. Because you know, you're still speaking to an adult, and we want to help them have some good skills for talking when they're in the workplace and stuff. And, um we had this i remember the story there's a student and and i had to make some changes to some schedules it's part of my job of scheduling and um it was some some you know issues we had to move some schedules around for a teacher and a bunch of kids had to move and the one student was very upset about she was not happy with the schedule she had just right how she wanted she asked to speak with me about her schedule change and uh, i've done this long enough that you know uh i i said okay we'll sit down we'll talk but i need i need to understand like do you really want to understand why your schedule has changed, or are you here just to complain to me? Because I'm going to let you know right now, there's nothing I can really do about it. All right, so I just want to be upfront with that. Like, are you really want to understand? And she came back to me and said, "Well, how about I give you a third option? How about I cre- get creative and think of some other ideas of what we can do with my schedule aside from just leaving it the same, or, or you know, the way you've changed it?" And I was blown away because she came to advocate really appropriately and very maturely about about the situation and. <clears throat> didn't really need a lot of coaching from me, and <laughs> she actually coached me on on how to listen, and and that was kind of my first interaction engagement with with high school and understanding it's a different it's a different type of conversation than uh, I used to have with junior high. So it's really um, it was really a great opportunity that I get to have now with seeing these young people transition to adulthood and have these more and more grown conversations, but they still need some guidance. They still need some space to have. To practice it's like training wheels right they're practicing how to advocate how to talk and, and speak up um and it's great because they're getting these skills before they head on to, to big people world
2: i just gotta say i'm just popping in real quick to yeah. say like i mean it feels like such a great picture to me right of like shepherding not as control but shepherding is like guidance and support and even being willing to like in the moment go like oh yeah that was a good idea yeah good good pushback Thank a lot
0: you. of growth for me in letting go and not being in control all the time. Um, and, then, and then there's this other part, though, like, but they're still kids. They're still kids in a lot of ways. And like kids, and then like most other people, they really want to be just known and seen. And so, one of the big things that I make a point to do is, from the beginning of the year, is I try to memorize as many kids' names as I can. Um, if it was a high school like 3,000, that would be hard. Ours is 1,800, more or less, and so um, it's, it's a little easier to, to, you know, not know everybody's name, but to know a good standard amount of names. And it's just funny, like the earlier in the year that I can remember a student's name, like the more it freaks them out. Like, <laughs> he knows my name. Huh? Does he know your name? Like, how did he know my name? You know. <laughs> But at the same time, as much as it freaks them out, they feel so like instantly bonded. And they know they're not going to be able to get away with very much, because you know their name. <laughs> you, know, you know how to look up their name. You can look up their parents' phone number to make a phone call if you have to. But, but, the rea- but even then, like, they just feel connected. And that's such a, it's huge, it's a huge part of, of what I do, and that if students can feel connected, they're able to respond better, and you can, it just helps the overall campus environment. So it's really great. So, um, and the other piece that people asked me, like, how do you get to know their names? I'm like, I look at a lot of spreadsheets over the summer with all their names, and like just seeing their names, just like scanning in front of me, um, it just, it just sticks. It's just weird. I don't know. <laughs> um, one name in particular stood out to me, you know, earlier in the fall, and I noticed I just happened to be looking through, and I saw the student's middle name was a number. It wasn't like numeric numbers. It was, I'm not going to say the actual number, It's like 75 spelled out S E V N E T five. She had a different number. I'm like, that is very interesting. I'm going to remember that. And so the next time, I, mean, I think she got in trouble with one of her teachers, and I had to go talk to her because the teacher said, this kid's out of control. All right. I said, hey, you know, like, I noticed that your middle name is a number. Can you tell me about that? Like, what's the story there? And she, she thought that she was in trouble. Like, I'm going to, If I show up at your classroom door, and I ask to see you to step outside and have a conversation from me, you know, it's not going to be you know, automatically that offenses fences are going up. So I've got to you know, find a way to knock that down a little bit to have a conversation with the kid. She says, oh, well, my dad gave me that name. And I said, oh, really? Do you know why he gave you that number as, as a middle name? And she goes off for a few minutes just telling me that she doesn't know her dad anymore, doesn't really live with him, but that this was the one thing that she really knew about him was that he this number had a very significant meaning for him and that he really wanted that to be her middle name. Um, and so in that moment, like I don't think she'd ever told another adult that story ever before. And by me just leaning into just... Tell me about yourself, and I've learned about your name. Tell me about that. Like there is a connection there, and there is a bond, right? Um, And uh, you know, yeah, I had to tell her to be nicer to her teachers because she's, she has a mouth, you know. So you know, you have to watch how you talk to your teachers. And but still, I can now use our connection, our relationship now, because I knew a little bit about her and knew a little bit about about that story, um, to encourage her to do a little bit better, right? So that naming piece is so huge for for young people.
2: I mean, it's huge for anyone,
0: And for right? anyone, right, like, yeah.
2: I mean, for all of you, like um, like here at City Church, Bill is better at it than I am, right? But how, how long did it take for Bill to know your name, right? And to be able to like go up and, and pat you, you know, oh, I'm so glad you're here and he means it every time, even if he says it 100 times every Sunday, right? And I may get to like 10 of you, I'm sorry, we're just wired differently. Um, but it matters, right? And so to believe that Jesus is the kind of shepherd, that God is the kind of God who somehow is looking at the spreadsheet full of names and also seeing you, is somehow holding that me and that we. And then here's the last kind of final piece, right? Because while, again, like in our our kind of imagination around Jesus as shepherd, you know, we gravitate towards that naked pastor, Jesus doing this and Jesus doing, you know, the reality is, he actually invited all the people around him to do the same thing. He didn't say, I'm the shepherd. He said, we're all gonna be shepherds. This is part of what it means. I see the sheep and they're, they're harassed and they're confused. These people like sheep without a shepherd. And so friends, let's go. One of the last things he said here on earth was him talking to Peter and saying, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Be one of these shepherding type people. And what we're talking about here to say is when you do that, know that you're not treating people like they're stupid. You're just knowing their name. You're leaning in. You're saying, hey, it's not about telling like the right path versus the wrong path, you know, live a moral life. It's, hey, you can come home. You can belong. There's connection. There's community available to you. So one just story I want to share about here at city church and a few of you are here but you know a couple weeks ago we had an ash wednesday dinner where really i know that for quite a few people who came because we've been in this weird you know post covid everybody's trying to figure it out and like you might feel like when you come on sunday mornings if you feel like you don't know people yet you're not alone So quite a few people who came for this Ash Wednesday dinner were in that boat of like I really don't know that many people yet, and so I'm showing up with some fear and trembling, wondering if I might learn a few names and if a few people might learn my name. So it was a fun time in so many different ways, you know, and and seeing some of those connections happen. But at the end, a few women walked up to me and they didn't know each other coming into the evening, but they had ended up sitting at the same table, eating their soup and salad and stuff and you know super simple time. But they walked away saying, hey, this is what we decided. You know, all of us feel this like need that we wanna come to church more in person. And Zoom folks, anybody, this is not like a closet, you know, like push for you to come in person. You're on Zoom is totally fine, totally fine. But these particular women, they were like, we wanna come more in person and it's gonna be easier if we know that someone's gonna miss us. And so they traded their information Right, they, they traded cell phone numbers and made a commitment to each other that, hey, if I don't see you on Sunday, not to guilt you, but just so that you know you were missed, I'm gonna text you and I'm gonna say, I missed you today. It was so beautiful, right? And it was so like, this is what it means to shepherd each other, right? It's simple stuff like that. It's not complicated. You don't need to go to seminary to do that. It's human was so good.
0: So it's really interesting to think about the spaces where that occurs, right? That occurs after work, at a home, around a meal. Um, that's really cool. And, and so we, we take that, and we look at the next verse, or the, we look again at that, that scripture from Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd, I like nothing. Uh, he, she, they make me lie down in green pastures. He, she, they lead me beside still waters they refresh my soul and that idea that the shepherd is providing space for you to pause and stop from our lives that's that's amazing and i think you know it's what we see in that uh, example that brenda shared and i thought about that in school like what would be like a really good example of pausing stopping refreshing and um i don't know why it's very <laughs> it, it occurred to me later on uh, this week and i thought like oh that's like detention and I don't know if you've ever seen 10 Things I Hate About You. They're all crammed inside a classroom because they're in trouble. It's this punitive measure or whatever. But, um, I'm,
2: I'm sorry. I got to just like, yeah, all of you are going to be reading Psalm 23 now thinking, detention. Okay, so keep going. Unpack this.
0: I'll get there. So. <laughs> So you know we have a problem. And in most schools, I've noticed, have this problem too recently that kids in, during COVID just had to click into their classroom in their pajamas and that was it, right? But now you're back in school. You want to talk with your friends before you get to class. And so now everyone's like late all the time to their classes. Maybe a few teachers too, but that's OK. So so people are just late to start off the class, right? And um, in response to that, we're trying to support the teachers, make sure classes get started on time. Uh, and so we're doing what's called tardy sweeps. And we choose random times in the week. And teachers, lock your doors, and we're going to round up. I know we already had a sheet metaphor, right? We're gonna round up a bunch of kids and, and we uh, we're gonna get their names, assign them detention. You have 30 minutes after school. Be on time, please. So, detention, um, not in a classroom. We we're trying to find a really good space. I work with two other assistant principals, and just kind of end of principals. So there's four of us on our team, and we found the auditorium. It's not a huge auditorium; it still holds, you know, maybe 200 people. And um, you know, we have 20 kids on any any given day. So the rule for detention is. Your backpack and your phone and your phone have to be left up at the front, and then you go sit down. You can't sit next to anybody. Two seats, two, three seats apart from each other, uh, and it's 30 minutes. And what I realized after a while is like, these kids do not look totally, yeah, they're a little bummed at the beginning. They have to, they can't go with their friends. or in detention. But it's actually, they're very rested. Like, not that they fall asleep, but you can just tell like, they're just releasing some tension from the day. And you know, Every now and then, I'll go and chat with one of them. How's it going? What's going on? How are your teachers? How's you know life going? And just the idea that something that's initially <laughs> we're trying to use as a punitive measure, it's actually a really great restful pause in their day after school. And just seeing um, that's very valuable, especially the disconnect from their devices. And it's really got us thinking, um, carrying that to its next inclusion of like, wow, students, post-COVID, we've seen a rise in mental health issues. We've seen a rise in anxiety. And how can we provide spaces for these kids to just pause in the middle of the day if they're feeling anxious in class or whatever, and and really helping the teachers and helping them understand like long-term is going to benefit your classroom if we can just get them out for five minutes. Maybe they need to take a lap. Maybe they just need to listen to a song, and then they can re-engage in your class. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a benefit in that. It refreshes their souls, right? And how much does that still hold for many of us that at the end of the day or in the middle of the day, I need to pause and refresh my soul, unplug, and just sit and be. And what, what a huge benefit that is for all of us, not just the, the students that I encounter.
2: I mean, I love that example, and then it, but it all, so it really pulls out for me that word makes. He makes me lie down, right? Like this part of going, okay, it's good for the kids, but do they want it? Do they want to go to detention? No. So, you know, Israel was sharing this story and we were, you know, continuing to talk. I, it made me think a little bit about parenting for us. These days, you know Israel and I have been at this parenting thing for a while now um, 14 almost 15 years Yes, D is waving there in the back. You know, and so we'd like to think that we're pretty okay parents, I think, beyond that you know i'm just not sure I want to claim that right, but we would like to think. That we're pretty okay parents at this point, and yet you know if you and I were talking one on one, I would tell you like man, it has been one of the hardest parenting seasons. And I feel like we're being kind of stretched like man just okay is not going to be good enough. In this season, like we've got more to learn, we've got growing that we have to do as parents, and and part of it is around this this whole idea of what do we do when it's hard, when our kid is struggling, when our kid probably needs to be made to lie down and rest. So I just wanted to to share this because it it just it just jumped out at me. Um, I've never been one to call my kids like good or bad, right? Like my kid isn't being good or being bad. But I would admit I probably have thought in terms of like good versus bad behavior, right? So there's a little bit of distancing. It's not my kid itself, but the behavior I still might think of as good versus bad. And one of the ways I've been learning and growing and being challenged over the last few months in particular is instead to think of it more as an idea of like, what is my kid's behavior showing me? So now it's not good versus bad behavior, but it's regulated versus dysregulated behavior. How's my kid doing internally, particularly just in terms of like just where they're at mentally? It's mental, emotional health, which, you know, it's, it's just for all of us. These are, these are some of the questions. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going to go over this really quickly because I think it's really cool, but I'm a nerd, so I'm sorry, you know, if you're not nerdy, just blank out for the next two minutes. Okay, So when we're thinking about regulated versus dysregulated behavior, we're thinking about three types of brain that we have at work in all of us. And I'm going to show it like this. So this is your brain working all together. This is a regulated brain, and it involves a thinking brain, a feeling brain, and a plain old survival brain, the reptilian brain. Right? And so when my kids start to struggle and get dysregulated, first the thinking brain goes offline, and yet I might still start like trying to talk to them and like telling them things, right, and like, you know, giving them advice and like acting like they have any sort of reasoning capabilities when the thinking brain has clearly gone offline. Instead, what I should be doing is talking to emotional brain because it's the one in charge right now. But then sometimes my kids get so upset that emotional brain even goes offline and all I'm left with is survival brain. Survival brain that is sure that they are walking through the valley of the shadow of death because I did not give them the right snack. <coughs> or I parked in the wrong space, or whatever it is that has kicked them like into like the world has just exploded for them and survival brain is firmly in charge. And when I recognize that survival brain is firmly in charge, all I can do is sit with them. All I can do is say, I'm gonna keep you safe until the storm has passed. And I'm gonna sit with you and I'm gonna breathe with you. I'm gonna let you listen to my heartbeat I'm going to keep you safe. You're not going to like it necessarily. We may be sitting in the bathroom because that's the one place that I can keep you safe right now. But we're going to breathe. And so I wonder how often God does that with us. I wonder how often we need to do that with each other. Like even the story of like detention. I'm like, how much does it matter that these kids aren't isolated? Are they helping each other co-regulate as they sit and listen to each other breathe in the silence? Are they helping each other calm down? How do we do that for each other? Are there times that we want to show up with like the logic and the advice when someone really just needs a hug? Are there times that we want to show up even with comforting words and all they really need us to do is sit with them or bring them a snack? You know, say, hey, I'll, I'll sit and watch the baby. You go take a rest, <laughs> right? How do, we, how do we let God lead us into a place of regulation? How do we do that with each other? Is that part of what it means to shepherd each other, like God shepherds us?
0: And it's amazing because it's not just like one of the kids, it's like times four. And uh, yeah, in our house. And like, we used to do man-to-man and now we're in the zone defense. I don't know if there's people who can understand that. Another sports,
2: sports metaphor, metaphor Another I just barely metaphor.
0: get. I have to throw it in, just think it's obligatory. Anyways, um, so finally, uh, you know, as we as we wrap up this part, we look at what does it mean for us and uh, and the other, and when we look at the section that talks about, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Initially, and I think when we look at the. Other examples of discussions about enemies in the Psalms. There's like a very clear picture of someone that you're very much antagonized and you're in this like life or death struggle with. Um, I think one of the things I'd like to help in adjusting that a little bit is think of the word adversary. Cause I don't think we have many enemies in our day to day lives. We have a lot of adversarial relationships. So I think it might help for us for a moment to to look at it from that from that lens. And when I used to think about, you know, my orientation uh, mode early on i used to think a lot about that metaphor of the lord preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies i think like the school bullies and like they were over there and god's like making me like a super amazing meal of like a burrito and guacamole and like horchata and like and i'm like hey guys look what i got over here like yeah you suck you know it was like that's usually what i would think about and i don't know if, if that's you know whatever my immaturity at the orientation level, but that's what I would you know, think about. It's like the person at the hot dog eating contest that's just got this big plate of hot dogs and it's only for them to like down because we're in this adversarial relationship. But when we're confronted with this threat, when we're confronted with this adversarial relationship, it's amazing that in that moment the shepherd doesn't necessarily exclude. What the shepherd is doing is they're setting a table before us mm-hmm. and the adversary is actually invited to join us. And that's amazing to think about. To think about, he's setting a table before me, not for me to eat by myself and to show up in front of those with whom I have adversarial relationships, but to have them join me. And that somehow in that moment of sharing a meal, our relationship can be transformed, can be changed. Um, and that's that's really cool to think about. It, it reminded me when uh, a couple years back, I was at a different school, and the staff had a really difficult time. And part of it was that there's you know, it's different staff members at a school there's administrators there's teachers there's custodial staff there's office staff and i think all these different groups were having a hard time gelling together because of our different roles and it was somewhat adversarial and i was in a committee and we were talking through what to do about it and we came up with this idea every other friday uh someone would set up a big pot of coffee in the uh, teacher lounge and in addition one of the other committees on the school campus would bring in snacks and treats on the friday morning and it would be like fun friday and it would help kick off our our fridays everyone was invited and people would get together we'd throw on some music and just a great hangout time and over the course of that school year so much progress made in people's relationships and trust with each other because a space was made and instead of an adversarial relationship we prepared a table. And people got a chance just to not be in the hustle and bustle of the day, but they got to stop, talk about stuff not even related to work. They can talk about their families, talk about the weekend plans. And what that did to build trust and build a sense of community was it's not something you can purchase. It's, there's no like, budget item for it, right? maybe the coffee. But aside from that, like you can't really buy culture. You can't buy care. And it was that process of building a table where people can come together. Um, that was really cool. That was special.
2: Yeah, and I will say, I mean, I think this is the biggest thing that stood out to me as I was reading this passage that I've, you know, read and heard so many times again. It was the first time it really hit me that this is how I'd always read it, that I always read it just as for me, like, like Israel was saying, right, that it was just about me. And the, I'm like, a table is essentially communal. <laughs> like, it's amazing that somehow I, I mean, it it's probably just shows how deep this strain of individualism goes in our culture and in our, our churches and, you know, that it took me this long to, to, I was like, oh, a table is communal. Why would God invite me to a table by myself? That makes no sense. There is a, a passage uh, that I, I love. It's a Jesus story. And, and so, you know, Jesus is doing Jesus thing, which so often was eating with people um, who were, not the fancy religious good people of the day, and so the religious leaders are, are watching him have his meal and I bet it was awesome. Right I bet this it was it was the embodiment of the banquet table of the cup overflowing right it was everybody having a good time and and just feeling loved feeling that sense of oh my the rabbi knows my name right that's what they're experiencing at these table and and the religious leaders of the day are looking and they're just like jesus those are the wrong people you know what and they're talking to his disciples and saying what is he doing eating with the tax collectors with the sinners with the prostitutes doesn't he know better and it's this classic, right? It's, it's the simple, it's still up here. We're still in the binaries, right? It's the black and versus white, it's, it's us versus them. There are good people and there are bad people and he's eating with the wrong people. What's the deal? And Jesus hears and he responds to them and he says, basically like, are you sure you've got your categories right? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous I've come to call the sinners and you have to wonder, right? Is he really just kind of saying like, oh, it's not good versus bad right now. We're just going to talk about like healthy versus sick, righteous versus sinners. And I'm just like, I'm choosing the other camp. Probably not. Right. He's probably messing with them in a slightly deeper way to say like, are you sure you want to call yourself righteous? Are you sure you want to call yourself the healthy? Is your life actually that simple? Is it that? either or, for you? Or is it actually a little bit more mixed? Are there places where you experience health and life? And are there places where you're struggling, where you need health, you need a doctor? Are there places where you'd say like, yeah, I feel like I'm I'm at peace, I'm connected with others, I'm in right relationship, which would be a much better translation of the word righteous than we might make in our head naturally. There are places in my life where I'm in right relationship And then there are some other places where I'm experiencing brokenness, twistedness, and and I'm not sure how to fix it. And I would love a healing touch in that spot. He's actually inviting them to re-examine because until they do, they're not gonna be able to see the goodness of the table. They're actually choosing out. Jesus isn't preventing them. He's not saying you can't come eat with me. They're just so confused. They don't get it. His table doesn't look like what they expect. And so they are staying far away. They're not going to get to experience the goodness, the banquet, the feast, the community and the connection, until they understand it's not their table. It's not their definition. It's Jesus table. And he's the one saying everyone is welcome. So this morning, this is the tension That we sense God inviting all of us into to live in this this complicated space where it's not all good it's not all bad. It is all love.